news, play breakdowns, power rankings, storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else. It's all straight shots here. Fired by straight shooters. S and Gun. This is the Objective Basketball Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast, joined by Lauren Gunn. Lauren, how you doing? So far, so good to start. So far, so good. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a it was a crazy weekend, but I got to see Chicago. Chicago was fun. We had a good time. Nice. Nice. Um, And we got a Mavs game tonight. Mavs versus Memphis. So I'm excited about that. Um, So things are good. Things are good. Yeah. How are you? Yeah. I mean, look, we're, we're pretty close to Scoot Henderson versus the Raptors. The There was an almost trade that happened that may maybe could have had Scoot be on the Raptors, but that is neither here nor there, ladies and gentlemen. The past is the past. We don't dwell on it anymore. Right, Lauren? Regardless, um, we have a great conversation with Brian Tapore coming up in this podcast, talking about Philadelphia, talking about the Sixers, talking about the new look Sixers without James Harden. Maybe James Harden comes back. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's on the bench. Maybe he isn't. Who knows? Um, but it's it's a very good conversation that we have coming up. This is part of the podcast you know, difference that we're trying to have this year where every week we're going to have one guest come on from a specific team and sort of talk about what's happening with that team. It just so happened that this week was the Philadelphia 76ers, and we got lucky because obviously there's a ton of stuff going on with the Sixers right now between James Harden and the new look stuff. Speaking of the Sixers, uh, Nikola Jokic, Player of the Week in the Western Conference. Tyrese Maxey, Player of the Week in the Eastern Conference. Um, he has been absolutely sensational. He He cooked the Toronto Raptors on uh, Saturday when they played and they just had no response. He is, he seems like he is the leader for the most improved award after a week. And I know it's, you know, overreactions and things like that, Mm -hmm. but seemingly, you know, the extra usage and no Harden has really empowered him to be himself uh, on offense. And he's just looked absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I think with with Tyrese Maxey, a lot of people were sort of expecting the usage and and, and this improvement and sort of like, oh, okay, wow factor coming from him early on in the season. But like you were talking about with the most improved player, a lot of these narratives start in the first, you know, however many games of the season at the beginning. And so for someone like Tyrese Maxey in Philadelphia, who's trying to figure out what their potential narrative and and tone for the season will be to have a bright spot like that amidst all of this other chaos is a huge deal for them and a huge win. And so obviously it's very early and it's, it's easy to call it, you know, a a crazy reaction or whatever anyone wants to call it. But these, this is a huge sign for Philadelphia. Um, So it's been awesome to see he's a Dallas kid. So I got to uh, give him the nod there, (laughs) give him, give him the shout out there. But um, yeah, I'm excited to see what this means for Philadelphia and, and see what his season looks like and kind of how he continues to build on this throughout the year. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no. And I think ultimately he's kind of geared up towards having an all-star season. I think that's Mm -hmm. sort of clear just because of the usage being added on. And I don't know, it just seems like the road has been paid for him to have a really, really big season. Uh, And it's, it's sort of become obvious at this point. Uh, Sometimes, you know, they do feel like overreactions, but sometimes it's just like you can see it in plain sight what's happening in front of you. And Tyrese Maxey is definitely, you know, taking that quote unquote leap. Um, The new look Sixers, they look very, very good. Again, we'll talk about them in a little bit with Brian, but the new look 
of the in-season tournament. So the NBA also unveiled um, a court design for the <laughs> NBA in-season tournament. All 30 teams will be rocking these new, uh, very colorful, very vibrant courts. Uh, some of them look worse than others. Some of them don't look too bad, to be honest with you. Uh, they sort of match up with the pretty awful city edition jerseys that we've seen kind of uh, being spread around and, and being rumored. Uh, mm-hmm. Ultimately, this is part of an effort to make the thing look different, right? The NBA is trying to have this soccer style uh, midseason or in-season tournament that includes, you know, a group stage and then knockout rounds and then obviously the semifinals and finals that are set to be played in Las Vegas, uh, I believe, at the start of December, December 7th to 9th. Mm-hmm. Okay, outside, I guess the first thing I would ask you, Lauren, is how do you feel about the new look stuff? Do you like the fact that they're trying to change up the actual look? of the of the court and the style of the tournament etc cetera, etc cetera, or would you like it to be more i don't know i guess traditional um mm, that's a t- i mean that's a, it's a tough question i think there's good and bad i mean as far as the new look i appreciate the commitment of okay we've got these jerseys and we also have we're gonna try and switch up the court we've got the, mm-hmm. the promo commercial the, i i appreciate the commitment to if you're gonna try to implement something new go for it. I don't love some of the jerseys that I've seen. I don't love yeah. a lot of the courts that I've seen. I think that there could there's room for improvement there and maybe that's something that we see down the line. Um but as far as the NBA in-season tournament being a thing, I do admire and appreciate the level of commitment of oh these are different games. This is a big deal. This is this isn't something that's like oh this is chump change. Like a lot of people right. see these NBA contracts and so this is just chump change and they're really just worthless. Um mm-hmm. I appreciate them trying to 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 show that it is bigger and for some of these guys it could be a very big deal for many of these guys. Yeah. Um and so I I I when I think about it that way, I like it. Um but this is the first year, obviously, so I kind of want to wait and see what it looks like. I think there's, I think it's going to be an interesting thing to watch as an observer, for sure. Yeah, I think ultimately the first year of anything feels kind of shaky. Um, yeah, I remember the first, you know, we both remember, it's not like it was a long time ago, but the the first um, iteration of the play-in tournament, right, mm-hmm. in the bubble, <laughs> which was, it was very intense. I think it w- it added a new element because it was the bubble, but also it, it gave the opportunity for the NBA to invent, to be inventive and to try mm-hmm. something new. They tweaked it as it went along and they adjusted it so that it wasn't just one play-in game and it was actually two play-in games that they incorporated for the, you know, the regular season. Mm-hmm. I absolutely think the play-in is a smashing success. It has been incredible. I love the fact that there is this sort of single elimination style incorporated into basketball. And now you're seeing this being incorporated with the in-season tournament. Yes, there's going to be a group stage. And yes, there's going to be, you know, the knockout stage later on that still is included in the regular season. But ultimately, there's been this question of like, oh my God, are the players going to care about this? Are they going to care about this being competitive? And I just think that is absolutely ridiculous, right? These guys get paid money to play in regular season games. This is included in the regular season games that come. They get a bonus for playing in these games and winning these games. But on top of that, 
This is part of the contract. You literally signed the contract to play in regular season games, to play in playoff games. And yes, we can debate the whole, oh, our players invested in regular season games in the first place, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I think this uh, kind of feeds into the competitive nature of professional athletes. Lauren, we talked about this last year, right? Where we said Mm -hmm. it's sort of crazy to think these guys aren't competitive by nature. Do you know how hard it is? To get into the NBA, do you know how hard it is to stay in the NBA, to become an all-star and an MVP? You need to be, as J.J. Reddick calls it, a quote-unquote sicko to be in this league, right? And I think like to, to question that and say, oh, man, nobody's going to care about this tournament. Nobody's going to care about this because th- this is just there's no incentive. Players are only getting paid this much, whatever. Bonus is only this much. A money incentive doesn't matter. That's ridiculous to me because – these guys will go out and do that consistently. This isn't some all-star game. This actually impacts their regular season as well. And on top of that, they might be able to get a trip to Vegas out of it, which is another bonus to all of this. All of the players love going to Vegas. All of the players love going to that. And I think it gives you a chance to compete for something else. You know what I mean? Like, it mm-hmm. doesn't have to all be about the Larry O'Brien trophy. It would be awesome to see a team like Detroit, who is off to a good start, or Oklahoma City Thunder, you know, who we love, both of us on this podcast, yeah. get to a point where they're, hey, maybe in the semifinals, maybe in the finals of this in-season tournament, and we get to see these young teams be on a good stage. I just think there's so many more positives than there are negatives to this in-season yeah. tournament. Being so against it feels silly to me. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I'm with you there. I think it's one of those things where it's almost like, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up uh, the play-in tournament because people obviously had their questions and it was how serious is our players going to take it. There was a lot of sort of initial criticism. And then it's one of those things where once you kind of see it in motion, it's like, oh, wow, yeah. this is where you really see what you're talking about with JJ Reddick calling it like the basketball sicko mind when you really see the sort of true competitive nature come out and how serious it really is. So I yeah. think that it's going to be a very similar situation here with uh, with the in-season tournament. And I hope that it is. I hope it is for the fans. I hope it is for everyone watching, for the players. It's just going to make it that much better. So I'm, I am excited for it. And from like a fan perspective, there's going to be conversation about it. Let's say, I don't know, like your Mavericks win the in-season tournament. Luka just goes off, right? Single elimination, Luka Doncic. I feel like he could absolutely destroy in this tournament. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's say the Mavericks go off and win this in-season tournament. But let's say mm-hmm. in the playoffs, they lose in the first round or the second round. Oh, yep. that in-season tournament thing was Mickey Mouse. They couldn't do it. They couldn't <laughs> capitalize on it. And there right. goes the content machine, right? There goes yep. the engagement machine. People will start replying in tweets, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, it might be, you know, I don't know, bad publicity. I don't know if it's necessarily bad, but it still is attention and it still is uh, I guess rhetoric, if you want to call it, just like dialogue, narrative that mm-hmm. is happening about this in-season tournament. And eventually, real stakes get added on because fandom is like that, right? The reason yep. we hold finals MVP to such high regard is because it's like it's weighed so heavily in NBA history, right? Mm-hmm. You look back at right. all the finals MVPs. You look back at everybody who's won the award. People still talk about how ridiculous it was that Andrea Godala won in 2015, And I just think like these things take time. These things require history to be built. And ultimately the same thing is going to happen with the in-season tournament. We might look back at this 
you know, 15, 20 years from now and say, man, the creation of the in-season tournament was an incredible success. Look at Mm -hmm. how far it's come. The Apple in-season tournament, whatever they do with this thing, you know, with TV (laughs) rights and all that stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm sure that's why they're doing this, though. It's just another thing they could sell, right? But I I just think it's... It's going to be a smashing success. Anybody who's questioning that, I just, I don't know. I don't see any, yeah. like, I don't see any real downside to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, that's that's sort of everything that's happened. Big, big topics that have happened throughout the week. Again, we're going to be doing this thing where we talk to one beat writer or reporter every single week on Mondays about a specific team. Uh, and then we'll go out and we'll pick another team next week. And you guys will see that as well. Uh, on Thursdays, we will mostly be sort of talking about the NBA as we also talk about our own team. So, you know, I cover the Toronto Raptors. Lauren covers the Dallas Mavericks and sort of the the, the Texas triangle, if you will. So we'll, we'll talk about those teams as well. Um, and right now we will talk about the Philadelphia 76ers. So, ladies and gentlemen, my conversation with Brian Tapork, um, all things Philly related. All right, folks, welcome back. We are joined by Brian Tapork. He is a friend of the podcast, also uh, a coverer, if you will, of the of the league at large, uh, but mostly the Philadelphia 76ers. Maybe we can get into the, the Oklahoma City Thunder later <laughs> at some point. But um, Brian, first of all, how you doing? How how are how are how's the vibes going with Philly so far this year? The vibes are shockingly immaculate. I'm going to enjoy this pocket of time because it could get thrown off as soon as Thursday. So nice. these, these next yeah. three days, I'm going to soak up as much as I can. So the Sixers have looked good, like really good, in my opinion. I, I, I watched the game against the Raptors. There was just they had no answers. You know, the Raptors are, are sort of this defensive oriented team. They're trying to make things as hard as possible on you. Um and my main observation from that was it just did not matter whatever they threw at them. Maxi had responses for pretty much everything. Joel Embiid, you know, obviously has responses for everything. Um, and I think given their roster construction, they're a bit more balanced defensively. Like they can throw out more size. And with Melton in the starting lineup, there's just more there at the point of attack to work with on the defensive end. That's what struck out to me first. But I guess from your, you know, Three, three games that you've seen, last night's dominant win against Portland, the opening night game against Milwaukee. How do you feel about this team and how it's currently constructed? Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to feel good. Uh, you know, they've been preaching ball movement, player movement, starting in training camp, which is something they really did not have a ton of with mm-hmm. Doc Rivers and James Harden last year. It was just James Harden and Joel Embiid are going to commandeer the offense, and guys you know, will get touches because James and Joel are going to draw double teams or draw extra coverage, and those guys are willing passers. They'll kick out, right. but you know those two guys were initiating a large majority of the offense. So far this year, it really has been a lot more egalitarian. Um, you know, Maxi is averaging more than six assists per game. DeAnthony Melton actually led the team with eight assists against Portland. It had four in each of the first two games. Embiid has had six assists in each of his first three games. He's yeah. only had four other streaks in his career where he's had six or more assists over a three-game stretch. So just seeing really like anyone can rebound and take it up the floor and they're not immediately looking to pass it to James Harden, who's going to dribble the air out of the ball for 18 seconds. It's just been such a refreshing change of pace. And then, 
again, like the player movement as well, guys, Embiid said it last night, guys are cutting with a purpose. He has, I guess he's been like preaching this since training camp. Like, I'm going to find you. Just, you guys have to actually move. You can't just stand still on the perimeter. And to their credit, I think Tobias, Kelly Oubre has been really good in that regard. Um, You know, Maxi with the ball in his hands more without Harden has just looked like a megastar. I mean, you know, he's not going to keep shooting 56% from three over the whole (laughs) season. Bold prediction, I know. But, you know, if he continues at this rate, like his first all-star, you know, where there's always the conversation in January, who's going to be a first time all-star spoiler alert. Tyrese Maxey is very much on pace, you know, three games of the year to be in that conversation. Yeah. I mean, if I had to bet today, who's winning the most improved, I would say Maxey is probably in the lead here. Um, yeah. You know, just looking at the, the rest of the NBA, obviously there's other deserving candidates, but the way Maxey has popped off with the extra usage, with the more touches, it's just, it's been great to see, and I think ultimately empowering him, empowering him more as a ball handler and playmaker has led to a leap in that category for him as well. He's seeing the floor much better. He's making excellent reads. And like you said, this egalitarian style is bringing out the best of him on ball and off ball because, yeah, he can be the guy. Like, man, against Toronto again, there was this moment where he just split a double team oh, yeah. to him at half court and <laughs> burst through the scene. It was incredible to see. Um, and yeah, he can do that on ball for you. And I kind of, I talked about it on the timeline when I was rewatching the game, but he's so hard to guard because you want to, you want to give him space so that he doesn't just blow by you. Cause there are even, even Dennis Schroeder, who was one of the fastest guys in the league struggled to keep up with him. Um, but when you give him that space, like you said, he's shooting 56% from three and <laughs> he's, he's revolutionized his jump shot. I mean, if you compare, Rookie Tyrese Maxey to current day Tyrese Maxey, the depth at which he can shoot it, the just the distance at which he can shoot it. Uh, he's expanded his game to the point where like the geometry of the court has changed for him offensively. Um, and when you have threats out there, it just makes so much more sense. Am I wrong to say that this team is actually deeper than it was last year? Because I like the Ubre edition. Obviously, signing him for a minimum is is pretty good. Your his game is going to come with its warts, right? He's not like the most excellent defender, but he does have length at least at the very at at the very least he can provide some length on the wings. Um, you know, Patrick Beverly, like he's not a guy that you're going to rely on to start, but off of the bench, you know, 15, 16 minutes a night as your point guard, I could mm. I could see that. Paul Reed, obviously, is a guy that they've invested in. P.J. Tucker. I just think there's more depth on this team, more weapons, more lineups that you can throw out there, and you can be a little bit more unique with it. Um, Do you feel the same way? Do you think that, like, you can trust the depth on this roster for an 82-game-plus season? I think so. I mean, I was saying this coming into the year, especially once they signed Oubre and Danny Green, like, Mm-hmm. If not for all of the hardened nonsense hovering over this team, you could make a very credible case that they are at least no worse than they were last year, which is right. you know not what you envisioned July 1st when George Niang, uh, Shake Milton, and Jalen McDaniels all walk out the door for nothing. And all yeah. of a sudden it's like, well, okay, we're going to re-sign Paul Reed, but those guys were actually key rotation members and we just yeah. lost them all. Uh, but yeah, Niang, the most winningest player in the 2020s, you know, that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, to your point, I mean, Kelly Oubre has been 
phenomenal again, you know, not going to keep shooting 50% overall. So regression is going to come for these guys. We are working in very small samples here. Mm -hmm. No, Jaden Springer hasn't gotten a ton of run, uh, picked up three very quick fouls last night, but also has had some very impressive defensive plays. So it's nice to see him getting a little bit of run and just letting the Sixers see what they have in him. You know, to your point, Pat Bev, um, you know, he he and Melton have been kind of running the second unit when Maxi is off the floor, which I don't know is sustainable from a playoff perspective. But mm-hmm. at least regular season, I think they can get by with it. You know, I think that's probably the one question hanging over this team right now beyond just the Harden stuff is like, do they have enough playmaking once we get into late season playoff settings? Right. Um, but for now, you know, you've got 79 more games. You got a trade deadline to answer that question. And if or when James Harden comes back, that will also help solve that problem because yeah. then you can have Maxi paired with the second unit, which is, or, you know, Harden paired with the, with the second unit, which is what they did last year. And I think that would actually help Paul Reed get going in particular, because he's had kind of a slow start to the year, but they are a lot less reliant on PJ Tucker, which I think is good given his age because of a guy like Kelly Oubre that they just didn't have last year. Um, you know, they're, they're giving Daniel house more run. Like I think, the coaching staff deserves credit for, you know, they're trying to figure out which combinations of players work well together or don't work well together. Or that, you know, they're testing the limits of these players early on, which is exactly what you should be doing when yeah. you're in Philly's shoes. And like, you know, you, you know, based on personnel, as long as you don't have any catastrophic injuries, regardless of what happens with Harden, you're probably winning 45 plus games. You're probably, you know, Maybe you don't get a top six seed. Maybe you fall into the play in, but like realistically, you are a playoff team and yeah. you should be, yeah. you know, you should be experimenting during the regular season to figure out exactly what does and doesn't work. So when you get into the playoffs, then we have plan A, but we also have plan B, plan C, plan D. But right. I think what, what hampered them last year, you know, they knew this Harden and beat pick and roll was so dynamic and it was, you know, it was their bread and butter and it was really hard to defend. Maybe except, the the hardest thing to defend in the league last year, honestly. Right. Yeah. Except the Boston Celtics had a pretty good answer for it after yeah. a while. It was just put Jalen Brown on James Harden. And once it started to sputter, they didn't have that counterpunch. So now I think this year they do seem like they are harder to predict offensively because it is not just James Harden commandeering the ball in the half court. Like now because there is so much more ball and player movement, that's going to help. And then again, like with this amount of personnel that they can interchange, I think that's only going to help them as well. Yeah. And, and by the way, that's when you'll see the real Nick nurse moments shine. Like I I think regular season wise, this team is good enough. Like you said, to kind of be a top six team in the East, regardless, barring any major injuries, this team is kind of going to trek along to be a 45 plus win team. It's just, you have an MVP candidate. You have a guy who might be a most improved candidate. The the talent on the roster is there for this team to succeed in the regular season. Playoff wise though, like you said, that's when Nick nurse becomes really special because you, you can carve out an option B through Z uh, or Z compared depending on American or Canadian pronunciation. I actually don't know which one's which, but um, you (laughs) (laughs) you have, you have multiple options there. Um, and I think that's important just because of the lineups you, you can throw out there. Last year, I wrote about 
the different backcourt lineups that they had between Maxi Melton. It was Maxi Harden and Melton all together. Then you had the Harden and Maxi duo. And all, all three of those were kind of positive, right? They got out positive results for them, but they rarely went to all three of them. It was very mm-hmm. much so we're kind of stuck in our ways. We're keeping either one group together. If a guy is hurt, then we'll go to that. And having that rigidness in the regular season makes it so that you're even more rigid in the playoffs and you're not able to be fluid saying like, okay, hey, the matchup isn't working, whatever. You know, they're doubling this guy. They're they're maybe forcing the ball out of his hands. How are we going to maximize the rest of this team? And you look at guys like Tobias Harris, who I think has started the season really well. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think he's been pretty awesome to start the year. De'Anthony Melton, a guy who can shoot the ball and stretch the floor for you. We mentioned Kelly Oubre earlier, but like having these, plug-and-play guys that can play multiple positions can maybe guard a few different positions as well just makes this team that much more malleable to different changes different schemes that they see in the playoffs um that's the that's the beauty of nick nurse right there you'll you'll probably later down the road you'll probably see the the (laughs) (laughs) but yes that is that is the beauty of nick nurse um okay i i wanted to ask you in general about how you might see the defense changing because Mm -hmm. you know at the start of camp it was hey we're gonna empower joel Embiid to be more effective on the defensive end maybe focus more on being that shot blocking shot deterring type of guy in the middle uh, you know, at the top, I sort of mentioned how their back, their backcourt looks a little bit de- better defensively because you have Melton, because you have guys like Ubre that can slot in there. What have you seen defensively from this group that either changes with Harden or or maybe just is like a different look compared to how it was last year with with James in the lineup? Yeah, I mean, to your point, Embiid has been a lot more aggressive defensively, at least hunting. Sh- block shots and rim protection in general. He had yeah. six blocks against the Blazers and, you know, didn't even play the fourth quarter. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's been really fun and impressive to see him in that type of role. And it, it, it seems like guys know that he's been empowered to do that. So they aren't chasing, like if, you know, someone blows by Maxi or Melton or Tobias, they know they have that, back line of defense and that back line of defense is a potential defensive player of the year candidates. And they're not reaching in and committing a ton of stupid fouls, which is something that plagued them last year in particular. Um, you know, again, to your point with, with Harden out Melton in the starting lineup, he, Nick nurse was emphatic about how good he was defensively against mm-hmm. the blazers. You know, he's gotten off to a slow start offensively, but Nurse was saying after the game, like, look, he he can shoot poorly and still have a good game. And I think he's done that. His hands are everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there was like a he, – he basically had a 5-0 run by himself where he hit a three and then caused a steal and got a fast break. And, you know, he is – one of the few guys on the team who is capable of doing that. <laughs> so it's been nice to see him in that role. He he did, you know, start a ton of games last year because Harden got hurt, the Maxi got hurt, the Maxi came off the bench. Right. Uh, and to your point about the the lineups from earlier in the interchangeability, you know, former head coach Doc Rivers um, said there were there were three line three starting lineups that he was right. considering at right. some point in the yeah. season. And I don't think he ever <laughs> ever did all three. I yeah. think we only saw two versions of them. So, you know, we'll we'll see what happens possibly as soon as Thursday. We'll see how that changes. It, you know, I it like I I don't want to bring James Harden back 
to this mm-hmm. team is the bottom. Okay, line. so this is this is actually the the thing I wanted to transition to. There is yeah. the question of you know Harden was I believe on the bench, yeah, right yes. against the Blazers. Yeah. He was there. He was sitting down watching the game. There is this idea that maybe he'll come back on Thursday. Um, I don't know. I, I, all I'm saying is, regardless of how Harden, if he comes back, right, and how he might be incorporated into this team, I imagine it's not a long-term thing. I imagine they're <laughs> still working to get him moved. So my question to you is, do they need to ask for, not a King's Ransom, they're not asking for a King's Ransom in the first place, but like they don't need that quote-unquote package to get a superstar because of how good this team looks. Do you agree with that notion that like they actually don't need that much in return for a hardened trade because this team already has most of the goods to be very, very good this season? Yeah, I mean, I think they're not going to suddenly see how these first three games went and be like, oh, okay, we'll actually settle for this Clippers package <laughs> of, you know, one pick and no Terrence Mann because Terrence right, right. Mann is untouchable. Like, I, I think their asking price is going to remain what it is. But and to be asking, honest, the asking price is fair. Like, it, right. I do think it's a pretty fair asking price. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, because you, you can look back and say, okay, well, James Harden's 34. He's on an expiring contract. He's going to want a new long-term deal. Yeah. And when the Sixers traded for him two years ago or like a year and a half ago, it was the same thing. He was on an expiring contract. You know, they thought he was going to pick up his player option. He like, for quote unquote, forgot to. Right. As part of not to mail it in, right? Right, as yeah. part of the trade. So it was like it was a potential four month rental, and they gave up two draft picks: Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, and Andre Drummond for him. Yeah. Like, I I don't think you know two picks or picking a swap in Terrence Mann, which I, I forget. I think it was Sam Amick or Jake Fisher. It's hard to remember who reports what these days. Um, <laughs> but if it if it's one pick, one swap, and Terrence Mann and expiring contracts for James Harden. I, I feel like that's reasonable, and I feel like the Clippers are the one. I could understand why they're reluctant to do so, but you know, I, I, it's not the Sixers' problem. And I think come December fifteenth, there will be a lot more guys who are eligible to be traded. And I'd imagine, uh, you know, that's kind of what I wrote about uh, this morning at Forbes Sports. It was like the start of the season, this first week of the season, really. You know, it, like could have gone better for the Sixers. They could have beaten the Bucks on opening night, and that would have been great. But like otherwise could not have gone much better for their decision to be patient with him. Cause they, as you said, they look really good. They're two and one. Uh, and there are other teams already like the Chicago bulls in particular, who appear to be in total disarray three games into the season. And I think very, that very shaky. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And I think that's kind of the thing that Daryl Morey is banking on is that, you know, everyone feels good in the off season or most teams feel good in the off season. You're optimistic about, oh, this guy's going to take the leap, or we we signed this guy, we traded for this guy, it's going to go so well. And then the season starts, and theoretical turns into actual, and sometimes theoretical is a lot rosier than the actual. So, you know, do we get to December 15th or January 15th, where, you know, the Bulls who are like, oh, we're not going to rebuild, we're not going to blow it up, we're just going to retool well, what if they remain on this shaky ground for the next two and a half months? Do they come to reconsider that decision? Because if so, you no, know, DeMar DeRozan might be on the market. Maybe Zach Levine is on the market. We'll, like, we'll see how this evolves over the next few weeks and months. But I don't think the Sixers should be in any rush to trade Harden. And I frankly think they should have him on a pretty short leash. Like we've seen... The Harden playbook, his way to force his way out of Houston and Brooklyn, was play well for a while, 
and then just stop caring and loaf around the court until the team was just like, okay, we're, we are just exasperated. We are, we don't want you around anymore. I think as soon as he starts showing signs of that, just put him on the bench. Like you don't, you don't need him to do this. You don't have to tolerate any nonsense for him because you've proven that you're totally fine without him. And I actually think from Harden's perspective, if he wants to force the trade, like I, you know, I don't know if he's going to be able to successfully force it to the Clippers unless they up there. He should play better. He should play well. Yeah. That's the goal should be. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, not only that, but like if he shows that he's willing to buy into Nick Nurse's system and is not just, I'm going to commandeer the ball and I'm going to dribble for 16 seconds and then launch a step back three without, right. you know, maybe I pass it one time or maybe I don't. <laughs> Like, if he's willing to move off the ball, I think one of the reasons the offense has been so good so far is the two-man chemistry between Maxi and Embiid. When Maxi kicks it to Embiid, he's not done moving. You know, he's running around screen still, and they, are, they have two-man chemistry that even Embiid and Harden did not because when Harden kicked Embiid the ball, it's like, all right, I'm going to give it to you, and you can either go post up or just, you know, if it's on a short roll, then great. We're just going to run the pick and roll and you're going to get it. and You're going to score yeah. right away. But if I kick it to you and you're posting up, I'm done moving. I'm just going to park on the perimeter. Maxi is still running around screens. Like this is a souped up version of what they used to have with the Embiid JJ Redick two-man game or the Embiid Seth Curry two-man game, except Tyrese it's the handoffs, man. It's the yeah. handoffs. Like yeah. the thing, the thing about Maxi is that he's so good at turning a corner that, yeah, he can be in a pick and roll and he can kind of get over his guy, but also he can throw it into the post for Embiid or high post area, which Embiid loves. And then from there, dribble handoffs, right? Let cut, cut around him. And mm-hmm. I think that is something that helps Maxi excel so, so much. And we've seen that without Harden. I wonder how much thrusting Harden into that will sort of mess things up and look Harden's still a talented player we still yeah. know what he can, what what he can bring but ultimately there is a world where this team looks really really good without him for the next whatever amount of time that he's not playing um they bring him back maybe he buys in maybe he doesn't but maybe they look different and don't look as good as they did beforehand and then there's trade discussions that happen once December 15th happens and there's more guys available once January 15th happens and there's more guys available. And then there's a trade and we look back and it's like, okay, there's Norm Powell and Terrence Mann on this team uh, added on to the fact that they already have this nucleus. Like they haven't played with James Harden for the first three games and they have an eight, nine man rotation mm-hmm. throwing a guy like Norm Powell in there, who is one of the bench best bench scorers in the league. Throwing a guy like Terrence Mann in there who's like a utility knife on defense. And then you have the maybe an extra pick or two. I think that really sets up the Sixers to do excellent in the playoffs. Not because of, you know, addition minus whatever the subscri- subtra- whatever the saying is. I can't <laughs> Addition by subtraction. Thank yeah. you. Addition yep. by subtraction. Yep. Yeah. Uh, not because of that, but because of the sense that they look good without him. They have a different identity without him. And adding these different pieces, whatever they may be, maybe it's DeMar DeRozan, right? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, that actually makes them better. Uh, and I wonder how you feel about that. Like, do you think, do you think that this team with the types of players that I just mentioned might actually look better than it does with James Harden instead of, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
I mean, again, it comes down to Harden's buy-in, I think. Um, you know, if he is willing to buy into what Nick Nurse is selling, which seems like a very, very long shot at this point, but <laughs> on the off chance that he is actually willing to move off the ball on occasion, you know, he did, to his credit, um, fired more catch-and-shoots than he did in years past last year. Like he, And he said it was a huge adjustment for him because he's been on ball, you know, for his entire Houston tenure. Yeah. Uh, you know, you would think he would have started to do that more in Brooklyn, but we'll we'll forget about that for now. Uh, so, you know, he did adapt his game to some extent last year, but this is his opportunity to do so again. And I think the more that he can prove he is malleable is going to make it him more attractive to other teams. Because I think right. if other teams are trading for him thinking, okay, we get him, but we're going to have to play his specific style Mm-hmm. which, you know, was really effective. And, and probably have to pay him, you know. Right. In the I mean, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, that that style was very effective for a long time, but he's not quite the same player. I don't know that he can do it on a game-to-game basis like he could in his prime. We see these blow-up games, you know, games one and four of the Boston series last year. Like, he, he still has that potential to single-handedly win a game for you. But he also has the potential to shoot like two of 11 and have eight turnovers and score seven points and like be the reason why you lose. So you don't want your heart, your offense to be so hardened centric. And then, you know, there is the, the Stephen A. Smith report from a couple weeks ago where he said, you know, Houston was really in on Harden. And then Harden said, Hey, I, I want to come back and I want to be the scoring champ. And then Houston was like, actually, we're going to go with Fred Van Vliet. Thank you. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know if that's true or not, but if it is, that's that's the concern. Like, does Harden? Well, that's it's that if that is true, that's telling where his yeah. mind is at. Right. It's yeah. not invested in trying to buy in, like you said, to change how he plays or how he's supposed to look on the court with a guy like Joel Embiid and a guy like Tyrese Maxey beside him. It's very hardened centric, right? He's focused yeah. on himself. He's he's focused on you know getting the money that he wants to, whatever. Um, okay, I would love to see how the Sixers look in May, in April, right? Uh, because it's all fun and dandy right now. You know, Maxi looks incredible. Joel Embiid looks great. Um, but I think ultimately, what I'm looking for is, hey, 28 weeks from now, 29 weeks from now, how does this guy? How does how does the team in general look under Nick Nurse? And it's going to be interesting to see. Brian, anything you want to mention before we head out? Anything you got plugged? Obviously, you do a lot of great work uh, over at Bleacher Report, over at Forbes Sports, et cetera, et cetera. What do you got going on that you want to mention? Uh, yeah, well, thanks again for having me. Uh, I did write uh, this morning, again, at Forbes, on why the Sixers have been patient so far with Harden and why I think they should continue to be patient with Harden. Um, working on something for Liberty Ballers that will come out later this week on, uh, you know, how I don't want him to ruin their early season vibes. So, you know, kind of digging into one, one thing I haven't mentioned, uh, their pace. They were, you know, their offense, they had the third best offense in the league last year. So, again, like, I don't want to make this sound completely negative about James Harden. He was a huge part of what they did. Of but yeah, yeah, they were running at the fourth slowest pace of any team last year. This year... Again, only three game sample size. We'll see. Maybe things change, but they're running a little bit faster this year. So I think that's the thing that I want to see uh, how his eventual return, if it does ha- happen, how that affects 
the team's offensive structure, how it affects Maxi in particular. Does Embiid's playmaking take a hit? Like those are the red flags that would concern me, uh, you know, looking ahead to the playoffs. But again, I, I would be very, very surprised if James Harden is on this roster leading into the playoffs. Yeah, actually, you you kind of uh, gave a point that is interesting. I I mean, I do think without Harden, Joel is empowered to be more of a playmaker. And you give him 82 games of that. And in the playoffs, him handling double teams, him, you know, working out of the high post, it's just going to look so much better because there's more chemistry there. He knows when guys are cutting. He knows the spots guys like it. I think that like... It's weird because, again, it's really early. It's a super early reaction. But maybe this team needed to take a step back in the regular season in order to look better in the playoffs. And sometimes that happens, right? We saw that with the Milwaukee Bucks a few years ago before they won the championship. In the in the regular season, it wasn't, hey, let's strive for 60 wins anymore. It was, let's, let's work. Let's use this as an experimentation process through 82 games to see what works, what doesn't. And... Sometimes that benefits a team mightily in the playoffs. Maybe that mm. happens to the Philadelphia 76ers. Who knows? But let's hope. I, honestly, you know, I'm in the mindset of like, they're not going to win a title this year. Yeah. Regardless. Fair. So like the individual development is a thing. It, it honestly feels like kind of a process season, like a rich man's process season <laughs> where I'm just like focused on each player's individual development and like the early signs individually from Maxi and Bede, Tobias, Kelly Oubre, and Melton with this playmaking, like all of these things are screaming positive. So I think those right. are like wins and losses. It's, it's going to be hard for me to get worked up about them this year. It's really Yeah, just, what are wins and losses? The NBA yeah. is emphasizing this in-season tournament <laughs> to promote regular season, but forget about wins and losses, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, we'll see. We'll see. Apparently, the NBA is releasing like some kind of new court design or something for the Ooh. in-season tournament today. So we'll see how that looks and everything. Uh, Brian, appreciate you as always. Thank you very much for jumping on. And thank you to everybody else who has tapped into the Objective Basketball Podcast. As always, do the liking, subscribing, and rating and things that you guys do. And we appreciate you guys listening. Take care. Follow hosts at Just S. Barahini on all socials and at The Lauren Gun on Twitter. The Objective Basketball Podcast. Delivering the NBA to you like no other.